And if they did all those things and we were able to verify it, then they were awarded these dollars. We had over a thousand inquiries for those 560 grants. Welcome to BizCast Greater Lacrosse, brought to you by Biz News. I'm your host, Vicki Markison. We're bringing you news out of the business community. And I've been alternating these topics. So some weeks I focus on a business, another week I focus on a resource. And this week it's a resource. So joining me is John Bingle. He is executive director with the Mississippi River Regional Planning Commission. And I think of you guys as a hidden gem because you're not a partner with a lot of organizations. You work with businesses. But I don't know that a lot of people know that you have these resources available. And so let's start out with what do you do? What does your structure look like? And what are your goals? The Mississippi River Regional Planning Commission is one of nine planning commissions in the state of Wisconsin. We're actually established by state statute. And one of our large charges in that statute is to help communities that are required to do specific plans, namely their comprehensive plan that outlines nine categories that they should be working on. And that's a 20-year plan that is supposed to be updated every 10 years. And in addition to that, we do hazard mitigation plans, really trying to help communities plan for the inevitable. It's As I heard Bill Grawl last night say, the weather will happen. It's, we don't always <laughs> just know exactly when or how. And that's the goal of the hazard mitigation plan, is helping communities be resilient before they have to be, to think about things that could happen and then plan for them as best we can. So if they do happen, we have a plan. We know how we're going to respond. It's been proven for hundreds of years that when you can do that, you're really able to minimize some of the damage and heartache to some degree. And if the thing never happens on your watch, well, at least you were ready. And then the other thing we do are recreation plans. And the recreation plans are required to actually be able to apply or grants with the DNR. So the way to think about our organization is we are a key economic and community development partner. And one of the tools that we bring to the table is organizing data into plans that really should become living documents for these communities to help the community, the citizens, the businesses really become all they want to be. And I think we should clarify too, you're the, I consider you the umbrella organization. So if there is a community that doesn't already have someone able to do a comprehensive plan like La Crosse County handles that themselves, the city of La Crosse has one going, that you fill in some of the gaps, is that a good way to look at your organization? It is one way. And we also partner with those communities you just mentioned as well. So sometimes as they're doing their work, we may also supply some of the data or help them do some of the GIS, a graphic informational system work. And GIS is a wonderful tool because that old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words really <laughs> is true for data. And not many people really like to look at those tables and try to decipher what's going on. So when we can take that information and put it into a graphical form and tie it to a map, all of a sudden now it becomes very intuitive for most people to really get what the data is trying to tell us. 
And that's what we're really trying to do is tell the story. We don't want to make things up. We want to take what's available and what's factual and then present that data in a fair way so people can understand at least what is happening with the information we've been able to collect. You're talking to a data nerd, a self-professed data nerd. So yes, I know all about GIS and its amazing capabilities. I've seen it used for determining locations for a business to say within this radius, people are spending this amount of money on movie rentals or streaming or crazy, the data that is out there. But one of the pieces I wanted to focus on today, because it's timely, is you were also the distributor of the Wisconsin Bounce Back Grants, which in short provided funding. It was a beautiful piece coming out of pandemic dollars, we'll just call them, where you saw where the state saw that there were empty storefronts or businesses and there were businesses wanting to start up. And so explain how Wisconsin bounce back dollars met that need and how successful they were. All right. Well, the program was actually funneled down through the WEDC, and then we contracted with them to actually be the administrator for our nine-county region. And there were certain dollars allocated across the state. I believe the total for that program was around $100 million. And our piece of that for grant purposes was $5.6 million. So that worked out to be $560, $10,000 grants. And these grants were open to people who, as you said, had a business. It could be an existing business or a new business. But what they had to do is prove they were actually a business. And then they had to have went into some commercial space that had been previously vacant. And then they had to, again, prove that between either signed purchase agreements and copies of the registered deeds or signed leases. Leases had to be for at least 12 months. And then they had to have a local partner, whether it was an economic development group, a chamber of commerce, a local municipality. Someone had to write a letter of support confirming that all of those things you're going to find in those documents are true and this business is filling that vacant space. And if they did all those things and we were able to verify it, then they were awarded these dollars. Now, we did have more people request information than we had dollars for. We had over a thousand inquiries for those 560 grants. So it was competitive and it was time bound. So we knew it was going to end at the end of 2022, but we actually ran out of money just after Christmas. So a few days before the end of the year. And there were some companies who we would have loved to help, but they didn't get their information in time or they didn't get completed documents. But the other nice thing about this program And I just started in November, so I give a lot of credit to my predecessor, Dave, and our assistant, Sarah, who really did the heavy lifting in this program and did a tremendous job. It also gave us that opportunity to talk to a business person, either new or existing. And in addition to the bounce back grant, we got to tell them about a bunch of other resources that could be helpful. And it was really fun to see some of these folks that didn't know Mm-hmm. <laughs> that there were, say, Ann and her team at SBDC, the University of La Crosse, who can come out and help them understand the finances of their business or help them with business plans and other resources from the business community that are just there to help, as well as even their local governments. Some of the folks 
when they had to go to get that letter of support, that was the first time they got to meet people at that municipality. And in every case, everybody reported back to me, it was a wonderful experience. And the people were very supportive and very appreciative that they were starting a business in their community. So those are some of the hidden benefits of the program. And then just to give you a snapshot where those dollars went across our nine counties. In Buffalo County, we had 20 grants. Crawford had 60. Jackson, 32. La Crosse County had 216. Monroe County had 51. Pepin, 24. Pierce, 47. Trempolo, 46. And Vernon County had 64. And if you hear some people that are, say, less supportive of the program, as I mentioned, the bar to get these grants wasn't extremely high. We did everything we could to do our due diligence to make sure it was a real organization. Now, the reality of small business is some don't make it. So sadly, there were some people who got the grants that the business, for whatever reason, just isn't with us today. But hopefully that entrepreneur learn some lessons that they'll be able to apply to their next venture. And then there were probably a few people who maybe checked all the boxes, but maybe didn't necessarily follow through the way they should have. And that's a sad thing, but there's just not much you can do about that. All I can say is it's the vast minority of problems. And then there were those wonderful examples of companies that it was very timely And some of those people, the best, they didn't expect to get it. They applied for it, but that, ah, geez, this is a long shot. They didn't think they'd get it. And my predecessor had a really neat way of getting these dollars out when we could. And we had to verify space in the second round of the bounce back because they had to have a minimum of 400 square feet. So we would call and say we wanted to come out and do a site visit. Well, they'd already basically been approved, so we'd bring the check. And I will have to say, I've had a few different jobs, and this was probably some of the most fun I had in my first Mm. few weeks on the job, where we actually delivered those $10,000 checks to these businesses. And they were so appreciative, and it was just, it was a wonderful thing to be part of. I think the interesting thing to counter the critics, if you will, is this was not money going into that individual's pocket. There had to be a purchase that went along with it, right? So it was good. It was applicable, if you will, towards rent. It was, they could buy startup costs, those type of things, correct? And so it's really pushing money, not into that business, but out into the suppliers of businesses. So whether it's space, whether it's office supplies, whether it's food, shelving, all of that, it just keeps the economy moving because those dollars are out in circulation. They're not sitting in a private individual's pocket, if you will. Well, and the way to think of it, even a little more broadly than that, is at the end of the day, every business... And some of those were sole proprietorships, so some were individuals. Mm -hmm. They did get $10,000. They did receive a 1099, so they have to report that as income. Yes. So really, whether they used it to pay the rent, buy a new piece of equipment, hire a couple people, you hit it on the head. That was $5.6 million that got distributed throughout our region. And at the end of the day, that's a good thing. Yeah, I have a podcast that's coming up with someone who used, she didn't, it didn't provide 100% of the dollars for her to relocate. She was in on Alaska and now she's in La Crosse, but she looked at it as the incentive. So she was thinking about it, 
having the $10,000 available made it happen. And while that's a loss for Unalaska, it's a gain for La Crosse. It's a gain for her business and all of the wonderful things. There's now another business that can go into that location in Unalaska. And so it just keeps the economy moving, which is what we need, right? We need our businesses growing and adding more employees and if they can find the employees. So that's a good transition to your work with workforce. So you also are working on trying to find more workers for businesses. Can you talk about that? It is. One of the core uh, components for the planning commissions is every five years, we have to do something called a comprehensive economic development strategy. And that's for our entire region. Now, one thing I want to mention about these plans and this strategy, everything we do is public facing. So when you see a plan or you hear about these strategies, you need to remember public input has been sought and included in every one of these. So when we talk about data, it's not just the hard quantitative numbers that we get from different data sources. It's also the qualitative data that we get from citizens, from communities, from businesses, from people who live and work in our area that have needs, wants, desires, ideas. And we give forums in all of these processes so that the public has input on what we're going to become. Now, from that, in our, we call it the SEDS, so C-E-D-S, we have five core goals for our region. And one of those goals is workforce development. Because a lot of the data and what we've heard from people, are there's a gap between the skills some of our folks have and the skills that our employers need to fill a lot of those open positions. So we're working with many partners to try to come up with creative and innovative ways to help reduce that gap and connect more people with those job opportunities. So what does that look like applied? So that's the goal. What are some of those action steps? Well, let me tell you one that was exciting. Just last night, I have to give a plug to TUMA, which Mm -hmm. stands for the Upper Mississippi Upper Midwest, Upper Midwest Manufacturing Alliance. Yes, Alliance. Yes, That's yes. a TUMA. T-U-M-M-A. Yes. And they had their first, hopefully an annual event, where they're connecting the schools and the programs that those schools with their tech ed programs have specifically with manufacturing and the businesses, the manufacturers. So they gave out a bunch of awards to programs that are doing wonderful things in our area and creating a lot of opportunities. And as some of the presenters mentioned, those opportunities, even though they started with high school kids doing youth apprenticeships and different work opportunities, that experience led to parents and other friends and family members learning about these opportunities in manufacturing, which led to some new jobs for more than just the students. So it was a wonderful event, and it was great to see that this organization and that effort is growing. And we're, I guess we're an associate member, but we're definitely tied to what they're doing as well, because manufacturing is a core. One of the statistics they had for our region, which we overlap quite a bit, is 14% of all the jobs in the region were with manufacturing. Mm. So they're definitely one of the largest components to employment in our area. And oftentimes these are good paying jobs. And as 
they mentioned, several of the speakers, when you think of manufacturing, it's not just the jobs on the floor or the warehouse, but there's just a cadre of other opportunities from sales and engineering and accounting and operations and logistics and just a lot of mobility within. And people had stories that someone started on the factory floor and several years later they kept advancing and they were in sales or they were in some other planning function and really just made a career out of it. And not to mention their ever-changing demands, right? So they have CNC machines. Now you need someone to program it and repair it. And yeah, so it just keeps evolving, particularly in manufacturing and metal manufacturing, food processing, composites. All those are very large areas of our economy. So kudos to you guys for assisting with that. We also want to talk about another resource for businesses, which is your revolving loan funds. So my understanding of revolving loan funds is this is federal money that came in to be loaned to businesses. It's gap financing, which is we this project will not happen if not for these type of loans. And they revolve. So as they get paid back, they're available to the next person and to the next person. And you guys had a really key point, which is the defederalizing of those loans. So I've kind of primed you for it. Can you explain how valuable those loans are as a tool for businesses? Well, they are. And most of our revolving loan funds actually came to be with again, a private-public partnership. Mm. So most came through the EDA, the Economic Development Administration, federal agency, but they were matching dollars. So communities Mm. and financial institutions put money together to match those EDA funds to actually seed many of those initial revolving loan funds. And then the idea of the fund is sometimes a business doesn't quite have enough capital to satisfy the financial community, but everything else is good about this opportunity. So what this gap financing would do is add that little bit of money to the piece to make the numbers work for the bankers and give that business an opportunity then to get the financing they need to grow their business. And as you said, we still try to make good loans. This isn't a grant, this is a loan. So the expectation is the money will be repaid. And then when it is repaid, and generally the interest rate is less than what market is, so that way you can help the business get a better rate and try to keep the payments a little lower. And the way ours work is they have a five-year balloon. So say they're buying a property and we can amortize the loan out 20 years, but we would have a five-year balloon so that in five years, they should have built up enough equity that they could go out and get conventional financing. Or if the business was really successful, they may just be able to pay it off from their own proceeds. But then as that money comes back, we go through the process again to help others. And a wonderful program. A few years ago, some of our revolving loan funds. We have two for our northern counties. La Crosse County has one. And then we have another for our southern county that were this older vintage. And with COVID and all the new programs, probably the administration realized, geez, these have been out for a while. We don't need to have the same scrutiny. So they actually defederalized those revolving loan funds. And what that meant is now the local community could determine, well, what do we want to do with that money? And maybe we want to do more things than gap financing. 
And a group we're working with in Vernon County actually asked all those same questions, and they have taken their defederalized revolving loan fund, and they're in the process of reorganizing, and they're still going to do some gap financing because it does play a role, but they're also going to do some direct financing with smaller loans for startups to really try to enhance those entrepreneurial efforts, and sometimes a business just needs a kickstart. And the other thing they're going to do, they have identified two major areas that they need development in their county, that being child care and affordable housing. So they're actually going to revolve out some of those dollars, again, at lower interest rates, specifically for projects designed to work on those two vital needs. So it's really exciting, and I look for that to be another piece for our region to really help businesses make those connections, improve, and then we revolve them back and help some more. And the defederalizing, is it two times that a loan, that the dollars have to circulate before it defederalizes? Well, I think different programs have, have different, different numbers. Yeah, okay. and in fact, um, now it looks like perhaps after seven years, you can oh, apply to have it limit. defederalized. I'm still, some of these things are moving yes. moving targets, but on those, some of those loan funds were started back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So they had been around a while and some of them I had learned hadn't been as effective. So some of our communities actually had to give some money back to the EDA because they weren't revolving it enough. Yeah. So that's the other thing our boards are looking at is how can we really meet our mission and the intent of these things and help as many businesses, organizations as we can. Yeah, it's about awareness, right? The businesses need to be aware that this is available. And just to clarify, too, because some people will say, well, you're competing on the revolving loans, you're competing with the private market. But as you said, the private market has already had an opportunity to say, this is how much we're willing to lend. So this is that lovely phrasing, but for, right? So this project would not happen if not for these dollars. It's kind of the last resort loan, if you will. And then is there any, so there's a risk to this, right? So the financial institutions have already looked at it and said, this is as much as we're willing to risk. So these dollars cover that risk, so to speak. And so the, there's some due diligence that you have to do, I'm assuming to say the thumbs up or thumbs down to the loan. Right. We still have to do the same due diligence as any other financial institution. And I would say I don't consider it competing. It's really collaborating. And even in these cases, say where I mentioned with Vernon County's idea with the startup. Well, if that kickstarts a business with a $25,000 loan, that may not have been that attractive to some of these financials, but now it's a going concern. And they're hiring people, they're selling things, so they need a bigger account to handle their payroll, their receivables. Now that's an opportunity that they had a hand in really helping those financials. And the financial people that I've dealt with, the vast majority of them understand how the world works. And that if they're a good partner, it'll bring them more opportunity, not less. And that's really the way to look at it. One of the things we try to do, it's we're not idealists, but at some point you have to look at the world and see the world of opportunity and possibility versus this world of scarcity. And if Mm -hmm. someone gets X, then someone else can't have Y. Because the reality is oftentimes what they taught us in math, that two plus two equals four, Well, in economic development, 
It's a little different math. And Mm -hmm. sometimes two plus two might equal 10 because there's this multiplying effect that as you create these dollars, this energy, these new things, other things spawn from that. And you just don't always know how big something's going to be. So if you're open to it and you're helping create that future, it really does help everybody. That is a great way to end it. So thank you for joining us for BizCast Greater Lacrosse. I'm your host, Vicki Markison. We'll catch you next week.